Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. As we come to our last service of Holy Week, kind of to rack my brain, right? You have to think, what have we all said? Between Pastor Noam and I, it's been like 10 or 11 sermons by the end of the service today. What have we said and what still needs to be said? So I came up with three key questions concerning Easter that I wanted to answer this morning. The first is, does it matter? The second is, what does it prove? And the third, what is at the heart of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death? So first, let's look at, does it matter? There have been different theories, hypotheses, ever since Christ rose from the dead, trying to say it didn't really happen. Right? In Matthew's Gospel, the first thing that happens after rise from the dead, soldiers are paid off. Soldiers said, tell everyone the disciples stole the body. Tell stole it. Now, you know Roman, the Roman military at all, you know that if you were standing guard outside a tomb and the body was stolen, you'd be put to death. You wouldn't be allowed to live. They routinely used extreme punishment against their soldiers. The idea, the idea that apostles are deceivers just doesn't hold up. Plus, all of them but one ends up being martyred for the faith. That is, they die for the faith. Not many people knowingly, willingly die for a lie. They know they're telling. Second, some people try to say, well, it's just a hallucination. That is, not that the apostles are deceivers, but the apostles are deceived themselves. Multiple problems with that. We heard in our First Corinthians reading at the early service that over 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive. You know anything about hallucinations? You know that 500 people all having the exact experience and the exact same moment is an impossibility. There's the swoon theory, as they call it, that Jesus didn't die on the cross. He just kind of passed out. And then, of course, spent several days in the tomb. Well, John makes it clear, the soldiers pierce his side. The soldiers who know all about a mystery of death, they pierce his side and blood and water flow out, showing that he was dead, so they don't break his legs like they did the other two. And then some will say, well, look, it's fine if you believe that myth. As long as you believe it in your hearts, well, they're all well and good. As long as it makes you feel better. Or if you think it's symbolic for something like, you know, a new humanity or being nice to each other or whatever, that's fine. Just don't take it too seriously. But we're not here this morning because of some fairy tale. We're not here because of a myth. We're here because Christ rose from the dead. And we believe, we believe that his resurrection can be proved with as much historical certainty as all those things they put out in history books that happened long ago. In fact, we believe if it went to court and all the evidence was weighed, that the jury would indeed have to decide that based on the evidence, Christ rose from death. If you have questions about that, we can get to a wonderful book by Craig Parton, The Defense Never Rests. Paul says this, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul says, look, it does you absolutely no good to deceive yourself. If this hasn't happened, if Christ is still in the tomb, then you're still in your sins. And then nothing that we're doing here this morning matters. It doesn't mean a thing. All of this would be for nothing. In fact, Paul says, Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we as Christians are to be pitied more than anyone else on the planet. should go without saying, if he didn't rise from the dead, then honestly, it doesn't matter if you think he's a good teacher, if you think he was a good person. If he didn't rise from the dead, who cares? It means nothing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. If Christ is not dead, then we're still in our sins. We're still damned to hell. We're still guilty. Second, what does the resurrection prove? First, it proves that he is who he actually claimed to be. That he is indeed the Son of God. That he is fully God, fully man in one person. Paul says he was declared to be the Son of God by power at the resurrection. It proves once and for all that everything he said about himself is true. Here's the thing, there are many people out there, even today on this holiest of days, who are believing in and worshiping a Jesus that never existed. A false Jesus. A Jesus that maybe was the highest created being. A Jesus that wasn't fully God. No false Messiah is going to save you, though. If he's not fully God and fully man, they cannot and will not save you. And if Jesus stayed in the tomb, they would have just been another failed false messiah. But if he is raised, and he is, then it proves beyond a shadow of doubt that he is exactly who he said he was. That he is indeed holy God and holy man in the flesh for you and your salvation. Second, it proves that he conquered the devil, death, and hell for you. Easter changes the power that death, the devil, and hell have over you. Sent with the cross, God has removed Satan and his power, which brought death. The causes of death have been removed now. There must be a resurrection. That is, if Christ has died for your sins, and he has, if he has done away with sin, then death must, it must give way to life. There's no doubt about it. There's no second guessing. Christ had to be raised from the dead, because he dealt with sin that caused death. It's not just a mere event, it's just not, it's not a mere expression of God's power. It's actually an expression of what it means to call God life and the one who gives life. The one who makes alive. So in Acts, Peter says, Jesus whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, so it was not possible that death, he should be held by it. Life and death contended in the tomb, and life was victorious. Death is swallowed up by death, as we just sang, it's lost its sting forever. The devil is utterly defeated in the death and resurrection of Christ. 
We're told in the Bible that one of the things the devil uses against you, still to this day, is he uses the fear of death to control you. But Christ is risen. The fear of death is removed. If you are in Christ Jesus, you do not need to fear death. Its power has been removed. In fact, hell itself, we confess that Christ descended into hell. What did he do there? He announced his victory over death and the devil and hell, and he broke the power of the devil and hell for all those who are in Christ Jesus. So they cannot touch you. Third, it proves that he will raise us to life everlasting with him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. His death defeats death, yes, but it also, it also transforms your death. It transforms your death into something new and different. Now death becomes for you a doorway to everlasting life. Because Christ is risen, you can live with a certain and sure hope that you will be raised up on the last day. If you have faith in Christ, death never, ever has the last word. It's defeated. We heard from Job, After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job is able to confess that even before Christ has come and died and been risen. Because he trusts the promises of the Old Testament. We have the sure and certain promise of the empty tomb. Christ is indeed risen. As if that wasn't enough, there's still more. That's resurrection proves. And I think all those things are very important. But there's one that's even more important. Paul says, who was Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Justification to be justified means that God declares you holy and righteous. That God declares you forgiven of your sins. St. Paul then is saying that Jesus was raised to forgive your sin. He was raised so you might be justified. He was raised to be made right with God. Now why do I say that this is the most important? Because unless sin is dealt with, Unless it's fully and completely dealt with. Unless it's put upon Christ on the cross, buried with him in the tomb. Unless he's raised up free from it. As Paul said, we're still in deep trouble. We're still bound for hell. But Jesus in his death and resurrection, he takes your place. He takes your place, he may be declared forgiven. He takes the place of all mankind. More on that in moments. So just as Jesus' condemnation was your condemnation, he's declared guilty and bears all the wrath of God, hell itself on the cross, so that you wouldn't have to suffer it. Just as his death is your death, so his coming out of the grave is your life and salvation, your forgiveness. He was delivered up for your offenses, for your sins. Delivered up because you, by nature, from the moment that you're conceived in your mother's womb, are sinful, you're unclean. That is, by nature, you are unrighteous. You have no righteousness of your own. And so, if it was just you before God on Judgment Day, God would look at you, and the only verdict would be guilty. 
condemns. The Bible even goes so far to say even the good things you do for your neighbors, the nice things that you do, that apart from faith in Christ, they're as filthy and awful as menstrual rags before God's. So on your own, you're covered by your unrighteousness and your shame and your guilt. And so he dies taking upon himself your shame, your guilt, your sin, and he buries it in the tomb so that he could rise again and be your righteousness. So you'd be declared forgiven. Which is why the resurrection is so important. It's why this is the most important gift, because it's the gift that gives the other gifts with it. To reject who Jesus is and what he's done is to remain guilty, condemned. Now sometimes we as pastors say this, we say this is for you. And sometimes people still wonder though, well, how do I know it's for me? How do I know Jesus actually did this for me and not just other people? I'm pretty awful. If you knew what I've done, if you knew my heart. To paraphrase a famous quip, if the Bible said Jesus died for Andrew Packer, then I would probably spend my whole life wondering which other Andrew Packer was out there that it pertained to, who it applied to. Is it really talking about me? It's not the way the Bible talks, though. It says that all this was done for everyone, for all people, for the entire world. For every last man, woman, and child. So that when Jesus was raised from the dead, when he was absolved from all sin and declared not guilty, it was not for himself. It was for all people. For every last man, woman, and child that would ever live upon this earth. And so if Christ died and rose for everyone, that means he died and rose for you. It means that you are set free. You are absolved, if all are. And if you remember, in the Old Testament, we have David fighting Goliath. And all the Israelites are terrified. They just stand around and watch. They don't lift a finger. David goes out and he defeats Goliath, but the entire tribe of Israel, they all get, they all get the victory. It's theirs. And so too for Christ. He took upon himself your humanity that he might redeem and deliver you so that his death and resurrection become your victory. His victory is your victory because he died for all. If he died for all, that means he did it for you. If he rose for all, that means he rose again for you. So that Christ's resurrection is indeed the life of all mankind. His absolution is being declared not guilty. Is the not guilty verdict on all mankind because of Christ. Because God raised Christ from the dead, he hasn't thrown poor sinners who are so hungry for grace and salvation. He hasn't thrown them back on human speculations, human ideas about what it means that Christ died. We don't have to wonder we don't have to doubt if we're included in this. Because God makes it clear in Christ's death and resurrection that it was for everyone. So rather than reject that, rather than say I have no need of that, 
Rather than put ourselves outside of Christ's grace and mercy and suffer the consequences, we can rejoice in the salvation promised in his death and resurrection. We can grab hold of it and say, it's mine. If Christ is not raised, then we're stuck with the bill for our sins. We're stuck with that debt. We're going to be the ones to pay it. And it wouldn't even matter then what we say about the death of Christ. That would make no difference. But he has been raised. Proof that he really did die for your sins. Proof that his father accepted his payment for your sins. And proof that you are indeed free in Christ. Now, there's one more question I want to add briefly. Because Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to show you what flows out of being raised for your justification, what it means. So just very briefly. First of all, that in baptism, just as we saw happen with Asia and Elias, you're buried with him so you might be raised with him to walk in newness of life. If you have not been baptized, or if your children have not been baptized, then be baptized and receive the resurrection of power of Christ to forgive your sins and raise you up to new life. Christ rose again to give you that gift so you might receive it and have it. And with that gift of baptism comes the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says, is within every Christian. Think about that. It's an astounding thing. Because we have the Spirit, we can walk in the newness of life. We can actually begin to do what God has called us to do as Christians. Pastor Odom preached a phenomenal sermon, the first service, about this very thing. <coughs> that the resurrection of Jesus Christ should change our lives, how we live. Christ's resurrection, Paul says, also means that because he was raised for your justification, for your forgiveness, he was raised to intercede on your behalf before God the Father. Christ daily is before the Father, pleading with the Father on your behalf, saying, I died for them, I rose again for them, forgive them. Which means that now, Paul says, we have no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you cannot and will not be condemned. It's part of the great joy of Easter. Easter is the high point. It's the high point of the Christian church here. And it's a high point because he actually did, in reality, in space, in time, rose from the dead. And it proved beyond a shadow of doubt that he truly is the Son of God. It proves that he conquered the devil, death, and hell for you. It proves that all but faith in him will be raised again. And it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was raised for your forgiveness. That all your sins have been dealt with. They stayed in the tomb after Christ rose again. So Christ became man. Not only that he might die for your sin, that is true, but also that he might rise again for your forgiveness. One church father put it this way, let no one mourn that he has fallen, that he has sinned again and again, for forgiveness has risen from the grave. And one of the most blessed news 
that comes with Easter is that Christ didn't just rise from the dead and leave it back. The forgiveness that rose from the grave is here, week in and week out, every single time we gather. And he gives you that forgiveness of sins through proclamation of the words, through holy baptism, through his holy supper. He still is here to forgive because he is the risen one. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.